Good morning, Christ Central. It's such a joy and privilege for me to be able to open up God's word with you this missions month that you are having. I'm also so very grateful for your pastor, Pastor Harold, and his longstanding, deep, wonderful friendship over so many years. And so it's extra special for me to be able to share God's word with you this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, can I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, and we'll be looking at verses 16 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Let's give ear to the reading of God's very own word. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Pray with me, if you will. Father, would you lead our time of reflection on these words? Would you guide me, Lord, by your Holy Spirit to speak only what you would have me to say today? In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like we're on a roller coaster. You know, just when we thought we were getting through the COVID-19 pandemic, well, the Delta variant starts another surge. Uh, masks that were put away are now being put back on. And then all those fears and anxieties start up again, right? So what comfort do we have then in, in the midst of all that's happening in our community, in our nation, in our world? Well, our comfort is the fact that Jesus, our king, is, is still reigning on his throne and that he is ruling over every single affair of our life and in this world, even now. And it is this comfort that not only enables us to endure the challenges of our day, we have many, but also to lean into opportunities to advance his purposes, and his kingdom, both here and across the world. And so today we're going to reflect on a very familiar passage. Um, comes at the very end of Matthew's gospel in the context of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection, of course, is Jesus's most definitive miracle, an event that divides time, divides history, sets our calendars. Uh, what year do we live in? Uh, we are living in the year of our Lord, Anno Domini 2021. And so it should not be lost on us then that Jesus's great commission are some of the very first words he speaks after his resurrection. And Jesus continues to speak those words to us even today. 
As we reflect on this passage, we will see that Jesus' command, number one, is a commission of grace. Number two, it is a commission with authority. And finally, it is a commission for all of Jesus' disciples. So point number one. I think the first thing the Lord is telling us, quite honestly, is that we don't deserve to be a part of his kingdom building work. So can you imagine what those disciples must have thought when they heard the words from Mary Magdalene early Sunday morning? Uh, Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. Jesus wants to meet us in Galilee. Just three days earlier, Jesus was crucified on, on a cross. How could it be then that he is alive? Uh, if you remember, Galilee was about Uh, 60 to 75 miles away from Jerusalem. And so it probably took those disciples about uh, four or five days to travel from Jerusalem to Galilee. And so can you imagine what they must have talked about on the way as they traveled together? Perhaps their their minds um, went back to the time that they were all gathered before then. Do you remember where that was? That was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Perhaps they heard uh, echoing in their ears uh, the words of their Lord. Um, you can't even keep watch with me and pray for one hour. Uh, rise, let's go. Be, behold, my betrayer is at hand. And as the angry mob came with all their clubs, all their spears and swords to arrest Jesus, what did his disciples do? Well, if you remember, they all abandoned him. They left. They fled in his time of greatest need. And so certainly Peter must have remembered how Jesus turned and looked at him in the courtyard of the high priest after the rooster crowed and after he denied his Lord three times. And so I can imagine the disciples walking to the place where they would meet Jesus filled with conflicting emotions, not only wonder and awe that maybe Jesus is alive, but that also fear and and guilt and and shame that they might have to face the one that they denied and abandoned. When I was about 10 years old, uh, my brother and I and a neighborhood friend were, were attacked by older neighborhood bullies. We were minding our own business um, at a park close to our house and these old neighborhood bullies uh, were trying to throw water balloons at us, uh, were yelling and screaming, calling us all kinds of names. And uh, being rascally uh, 10 and year, 11-year-old boys, we uh, yelled back and, and probably said some things we shouldn't have said, not expecting what would happen next. They started chasing after us. And as soon as we saw them coming, we all jumped on our bikes And we pedaled as fast as we possibly could back home, back where it was safe. And uh, I was the first back to the house. Our our friend, neighborhood friend was right behind me. Uh, And then I looked back and and there was my brother a block away. The chain had fallen off his bike. And as we were standing there in front of our house, we saw this whole scene unfold. These these older neighborhood bullies came up and and, uh, grabbed him and took a couple cheap shots Uh, and and then walked off, and there he was, um, crying, weeping in this uh, rage 
of humiliation and shame. And I remember seeing him pick up his bike, walk over to where we were standing, still angry. He threw down his bike. He walked up to me and then he slugged me in the stomach and he said, where were you? Didn't you hear me cry for help? After this incident, we asked our dad to teach us Taekwondo. It only lasted a couple of weeks. And so you, you see, we should expect Jesus to come up to his disciples in Galilee and, and to slug them, right? And to say, where were you? Or at least rebuke them for, for their cowardice, coward, cowardice, when he met them on the mountain in Galilee. But you see, Jesus, he doesn't reject them. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't even mention the fact that when some of them were standing before him, they, they doubted him. In fact, when he, when he meets Mary Magdalene, he, he tells her specifically, go and tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. He, he still calls them his, his brothers, even Peter. And when he speaks to them on the mountain, he doesn't mention their failures. He doesn't mention their sins against him. Not even the fact that some of them doubted or, or hesitated standing before him. And so what we have here in, in the Great Commission is a picture of God's grace. His amazing grace. His mercy. Because what do they deserve? They deserve to be abandoned. They deserve to be rejected. They deserve to be denied before the Father, excluded from the kingdom. But instead of rebuke, what does Jesus do? He forgives them. He pursues them. And then he enlists them to finish his kingdom-building work, the work that he himself began. What we have here at the very beginning of this passage is a picture of God's amazing grace. And so we ask ourselves this question, who are these disciples. Well, they're us. We're just like them, right? We're, we're hesitant. We're doubtful. We're fearful, sometimes uh, still full of, of, of shame and guilt. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but when someone that I've offended, someone that I've sinned against that I actually respect overlooks my sins, forgives me, I can't help but respect that person even more. And when he demonstrates to me that, that his love and affection for me is, is so secure, there's no strings attached for his love for me, I can't help but love him more. And when I am convinced that he knows me for who I am with all of my sins, all of my failures, and still loves me, I can't help but be passionate for what he is passionate for. Where does, with passion, where does passion for missions come from? Well, it comes from a deep passion for our Savior, for our King, for our Lord, who loves us with this lavish grace and mercy. You see, this isn't guilt trip motivation for missions, but one that comes from a sincere love and affection for our Savior, for our King, for our Lord. And so, more, and so the more that we dwell upon God's grace and mercy for us, the more fuel we add to missions fire in our hearts 
And so, yes, we don't deserve to be a part of this mission work, this kingdom building work, and yet he still allows us to participate by his grace. That was point number one. Second thing I believe the Lord is telling us is that we don't have to be afraid to go and engage in his kingdom building. Why? Because Jesus, the one who sends us, the one who commissions us, has been given all authority both in heaven and on earth. And so that when we go, when we engage, we go with his authority, we go with his power. And it is this fact that guards us either from paralyzing fear and insecurity or overconfidence and pride. What do I mean? Perhaps there are some here today who would never consider serving in foreign or global missions because of fear, because of insecurity. Perhaps there are those who think it's not safe out there. What about my kids? Who will take care of my parents? How, how will I raise support? Now, these are real and very honest fears. But hasn't our time in the pandemic taught us that we really don't have any control over any of these things. But who does? Well, God does. Our king does. The one who loves us. The one who rules and reigns over heaven and earth. The one who's been given all authority. He is the one who determines who gets sick and who does not. He is the one who determines the safety of our children, of our parents. He is the one who determines all that we have and all that we need. And so the fact that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth not only comforts us, but it frees us. It frees us to begin to risk, to stretch, to dream about how to engage in his, his kingdom mission. And so do we believe that Jesus has all authority, both in heaven and on earth? Do we believe that we send and support and go with his authority? So if one extreme is utter fear and insecurity, what's the other extreme? The other extreme in missions is being overly confident in our own authority. Some of us uh, struggle with this. We, we think perhaps because we're educated or wealthy or from the West that the world has to listen to us, has to listen to our message. We think all authority has been given to us. And so we go and do missions in our own strength, our own confidence. This is just as dangerous, if not more, than being insecure and fearful. Our first mission field was in the Philippines, and when we first arrived, I, I was visiting the Presbyterian Theological Seminary um, right outside of Metro uh, Manila. Uh, keep in mind, I just finished my, my PhD in New Testament studies and was super excited at the possibility of teaching at this school. I was thinking all of my preparations, all of my work, all of my labor was for this moment, for, for training these students. 
And quite honestly, secretly in my heart, I thought, aren't they so lucky <laughs> to have someone like me? Well, the first students I met were really friendly and um, you know, they told me their names and I told them mine. And, and then one of them turned and asked me, he, he said, so what year in school are you here? He thought I was a student. Uh, I was so offended, but of course, as a missionary, you can't uh, be prideful or show your pride. And, and, and so I, I simply said, well, actually, I'm not, uh, I'm not a student here. He replied, well, are you going to apply? Needless to say, God was telling me something about my own preoccupation with my pride and self-confidence. And so we need to ask ourselves some hard questions, right? What kind of authority are we basing our confidence upon? Is it worldly authority? Is it our education, money, power, connections? Or do we believe that Jesus, that he has all authority in heaven and on earth? And that we send support and go and engage in his kingdom mission with his authority. Recognizing this also frees us from hubris, pride, and self-sufficiency. Now, the truth is, it is only by the authority and power of Christ given to us by his Holy Spirit, by his presence, that we can contribute anything of value for his kingdom. You know the promise at the end of the Great Commission? Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. I think what Jesus is telling us is not simply that he's somehow watching over us as we engage in his work. No, what he is telling us, what he is promising us, in fact, is the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, of his spirit equipping and empowering us to do this task, this commission that he's given us. Do we believe this? Do we believe that his spirit is in us to accomplish this work? You see, when this thought goes from our head to our hearts, then two things happen. Number one, we become incredibly confident. At the same time, we become incredibly humble. You see, this truth should give us who are hesitant and doubtful confidence, knowing that Jesus is calling us to a task that cannot fail. At the same time, it gives us incredible humility, recognizing it's not our power, our authority, our connections or money by which his kingdom grows, but it's by his and his power knows no bounds. That is the second point. The kingdom commission we have is a kingdom commission with authority. So number one, the Lord is telling us we don't deserve to participate in his kingdom building work. And yet he still commissions us by his grace. And secondly, he tells us we cannot do this work by our own power or authority. But we can by his and finally, the Lord is telling us that every one of us who is a disciple of Jesus needs to be involved in making more disciples, needs to be involved in this kingdom building work. So in our passage, 
what are those two main tasks that Jesus associates with making disciples? Number one, baptism. Number two, teaching. Let's break that down a little bit. Baptism. Why baptism? Well, baptism signifies one's entrance into the community of Jesus's disciples. It's a sign that our sins have been washed away, that we have been forgiven and accepted by the righteousness of Christ. And what it requires is this radical commitment to Jesus, to the Lord and his people, essentially saying, today I die to self and am reborn by the power of the spirit to live for Jesus. It's a declaration that I'm a follower of Christ. Second, teaching. Why teaching? Well, teaching is simply the means Jesus uses to grow and mature his disciples as those who belong to the kingdom of God. And so not only are we to lead people to this radical commitment of following Jesus and receiving eternal life, but we are to continue to nurture all of the folks in our life in their faith by teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commands. Did you catch that? To obey everything that Jesus commands. What is included in that everything? What is included in that everything is this command to do what? Go and make disciples. And so part and parcel then of of being a disciple then is to make disciples. If we're faithful to the Great Commission, of teaching others to obey everything that Jesus commands. It includes being involved in the Great Commission. The truth is, though, we can't make disciples unless we are disciples. And so let me ask you these questions. Have we made this decision to live wholeheartedly for the Lord? And are we committed to a lifetime of learning and growing in the gospel of grace. Maybe you're thinking, we're not ready. We're not equipped. Isn't it the pastor's job to baptize and teach? And yes, of course, God has his ordained servants to to serve in these unique roles of baptism and teaching. And yet every disciple of Christ is called to participate in making more disciples. It's included in this great commission mandate. There is a book on evangelism. It's called Get Real. Uh, It's written by a a man named John Leonard. Um, And in this book, he argues that we should, number one, evangelize Christians and disciple non-Christians. Did you catch that? Uh, What he means by this is that Christians still need to hear the gospel. We are to evangelize Christians, meaning share the gospel with believers. At the same time, non-Christians need to see how the gospel can bring healing and peace to all the areas of our lives. So instead of, of simply memorizing a gospel presentation, a script, We simply allow the gospel to change us, to change our marriage, to change how we raise our kids, to change our relationships at work, and then give testimony to what God is doing by the power of his Holy Spirit, by his amazing grace to others. 
And so we don't teach our disciples that they somehow have to have these perfect Christian lives. What is discipleship? It's simply showing someone else how to apply the gospel to all the areas of our lives. And so when the center of discipleship is the gospel, well, then the focus is less on us, more on Christ. We don't have to pretend to be something we're not. In fact, our message is we're just as messed up and, and broken as you. And we need the same gospel that we're speaking of daily. We need daily to come humbly before our Savior, confessing our fears, our sins, our shame, our pride. And so we teach our disciples simply that we are merely beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. Now, we can certainly be involved in making disciples uh, here, here in our own hometown. Certainly many different nations are here, but you see the Lord is still calling his church to go. He is to go to other nations, to go to other places. Why? To fulfill his redemptive purposes for his world. And so Jesus, our risen king, exalted to the highest place, calls us to carry forth his message of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. And what a time to go. What a time to proclaim the message of grace and salvation. What a time to invest in sending those called to go with our prayers, with our finances, with our encouragement. You see, beloved, COVID-19 cannot stop this mission. Our domestic issues cannot stop this mission. In fact, these circumstances may be the kindling that brings a fire for the gospel, not only here in the United States, but across the world. Beloved, our king is still on his throne, and so we have nothing to fear. Shall we not lean into the opportunities around us and across the world to advance his kingdom mission, to advance his kingdom mission? May it be so, Lord Jesus. Amen.